This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Tonight we're going to open up God's Word and we're going to talk about the door. And I think as we go through this sermon you'll recognize uh, what this sermon's about, what I mean by the door. But I actually want to ask you to use your imagination with me a little bit this evening as we begin. And I want to take you back some 4,400 years. And I want you to put yourself in this mindset that you live 4,400 years ago. Now this is 2,400 years before the days of Jesus Christ. This was about 1,600 years or so after creation, after the first people. And you are living here in this area, what we would call today Mesopotamia. This was a very lush area. It was green grasses. It was rivers running through it. Great place to raise livestock, uh, to grow anything that you want to grow. So you've got a wife. You've got a couple of kids. You're a farmer, and you live in this time frame. And you spend your days working and toiling in your fields, Uh, playing with your kids, sitting around the campfire with your neighbors and your family members at night, swapping stories, and it's a great, wonderful life. Now, one thing that's interesting, though, about this time period is it's a far cry from back in the days of Adam and Eve, and a lot of things have changed. And ever since Adam and Eve and, and Cain and Abel and some of that first sin that got brought into the world, over time, the world has become less and less focused on God and more and more focused on man. And so the time frame that you live in is a time in which man has pretty much outgrown the need for God. And you know, there's some advantages to that. Because when society no longer needs God, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do anything that you want to do. And if you have enough power, enough might, or enough money, you can take and literally have anything that you want in this life. And you and most of your neighbors and your family members in this society at that time is pretty much happy with that. Now, you got to be careful because not everybody's friendly. There's wickedness out there. There's people that would seek to do you harm. And so you got to pay attention to your family members and those that you love. you got to keep them close. But as long as you do that, it's a pretty great life. But you remember hearing those stories as you sat around the campfire with your great-granddad and he told you stories long ago of a time when man would actually offer sacrifices to God and would come together and worship God and that's just not the life that you have now and you're okay with that. And pretty much everybody else is too, except for your neighbor. Your neighbor is a weird old man, and he lives just down the road in this valley area, and he says that God has spoken to him and delivered a message where God said he wasn't pleased or happy with mankind today in this era for turning away from him, for rebelling against him. And this religious nut, he has this crazy idea that God is going to open up fountains from the deep and from the air and water is going to pour from above and spring forth from the ground and the whole world's going to flood. And you've gone because you're curious and you've listened to this guy talk. You see, he's teaching and he's preaching to anybody that would listen this message, message that he has supposedly gotten from God. And so you stood there with the crowd, you listened to this, and you threw mud, and you threw rocks, and you jeered at him, and you made fun of him, and you called him a religious kook, and you laughed on your way home with your buddies about how ridiculous that man is. And you went back home, and you worked on your crops, and you spent time with your kids, and you went to a party, 
and you drank and you ate and you lived it up and you had a great time. Then one day, though, something happens. You're out working in your field and you notice something. You notice these animals that start streaming across your fields toward that valley where your neighbor lives. And so you follow at a distance. You're seeing animals you've never seen before. You're seeing big animals, small animals of all kind, and they're all headed towards this old guy's house. And so you follow along at a distance, and you go to where you can look, and you look down, and you see this construction project. Now, the few times that you've gone and you've listened to this guy teach, you've noticed that there's a construction project going on behind him. And every time you've been there, it's been a little farther along. And you notice that it's done. And what this man has been building is a giant boat. And when you've listened to him preach, he said, see, since God's going to send this flood and it's going to destroy everything and everyone, I've got to build this boat. And when I get this boat done, I'm going to put animals on that boat and I'm going to put my family on that boat and I'm going to put anybody else on that boat that will listen and that will come through that door. And once again, you laughed and you jeered. And you made fun of him. But now as these animals are circling around it, you notice this boat's done. And there's a ramp leading up to this door on the side of that big boat. And you've got animals. And this guy is waving his staff around. And it's almost as if the animals are paying attention and listening to him and obeying him. And so they're one by one, single file, going up that ramp. And they're loading up onto this boat. And you just shake your head. And you dismiss it as another layer of crazy. This old guy's going to get himself killed messing with these kind of animals. So you go back home. A few of your neighbors have also witnessed this. And so that night around the campfire, you're talking about it. And again, you're just making fun of him and dismissing him as another layer of crazy. But the next morning, as you're working in your fields, something else spectacular happens. You begin to feel drops of water hit your head and your neck and your arms. And you look up in amazement. You see, because in this world that you live in, you've not seen rain before. Now, you've wandered under a waterfall. You've had water poured over your head, so you've felt that, but you've never just felt drops of water coming from the sky. And you look up in amazement and wonder, and it's something new, and it's a fun experience. And you look over at your wife, and she's looking up into the heavens, watching this water begin to pour down. And your kids over off in the distance, as they're playing, they've stopped and they've looked up, and they have their hands reached out to watch those drops of water. And it's it's amazing. But then suddenly that water begins to come down harder. And it's not little droplets anymore. In fact, it's sheets of rain that begin coming down so hard that it begins stinging your skin. And it begins to hurt. And so your instinct is, we've got to find shelter because there's a storm coming. There's water coming from the sky and we've not seen anything like this. And so you yell to your wife, we've got to get to the house. But as you're yelling that to her, boom, to the right, you feel the earthquake. And you see a geyser of water shoot out from the ground 100 feet into the air. And the earth is shaking beneath you, but before you can even get your bearings, boom, to your left, it happens again, and the earth cracks, and that water shoots up into the air. And you go grab your wife's hand, and you say, we've got to get to the house, and then boom, another one behind where your house is, and water is shooting in the air, and it's coming down from the sky in sheets, and suddenly it dawns on you in that moment, the house is not where we need to be. And you remember the words of that guy, that old man, that religious nut, as he was preaching and he said water was going to come from the sky and it was going to come up from the ground. And he said, I'm building a boat and it's going to save anybody that will come on board. And so you tell your wife, I know where we've got to go. And you grab her hand and each of you grab one of your children and you begin to run with everything that you're worth towards your neighbor's house where you know that big boat is and it's done and it's ready. And you know, if this flood is happening, my family's going to be safe. 
We are not going to die from this flood. And so you're running through water and it's beginning to pool at your feet. And so you're splashing through it and visibility is bad because it's still coming down hard. And it's a full-fledged storm and there's lightning that's striking and there's more geysers that are happening. And so the earth is quaking beneath your feet, but you're determined to get there. And so you get down to this valley and you begin to go down and now you're going down into this water and it's waist deep water and then it's neck deep water and now you're swimming towards where you know that boat is and you saw those animals get up on that ramp and go into that door and so you know exactly what you've got to do and you say, if we can just get to that ramp, we can get up there and we can get in. And so you make it, you and your wife and your two kids to that ramp and you climb up and you go to where you know that door is but suddenly that door is not there. And you begin to feel around on the side of that wooden boat for where that door was. You've seen it. You know it's there. But suddenly it's as if it's just disappeared. There's no creases. There's no door anywhere. But you know it's there. So you begin to pound. You begin to knock. And you begin to say, please let us in. We're here. And that rain's still coming down. And that flood water, it's rising up. And your neighbors, you notice a couple of them have realized the same thing. And so they've now joined you on this ramp. And now there's eight or 10 of you there. And you're all banging on that door saying, please let us in, let us in. But now the weight of those eight or 10 people on that ramp with the flood water swirling beneath it, those posts and beams begin to give. And that ramp comes crashing down into the flood waters beneath. And you and your family are there in the water and you're swimming and you hold on to your child and you're looking around, you're treading water, you're trying to figure out what to do and you see some high ground where there's some rocks and you think, if I can't get on this boat, at least I've got to make it to high ground. So you swim over to these rocks. You notice a couple of your neighbors don't make it. They get swept into the floodwaters and they're gone. But you're determined to get there. And so you and your wife, you make it to this rock and you perch up onto these rocks and you're waving at this boat and you're saying, we're over here, please. Help us. We don't want to die. Let us into the boat, please. But nothing happens. There's no answer. And then you hear it. The groans and the creaks as that big, giant wooden boat begins to move on top of those floodwaters that have risen up beneath it. And that big, giant boat, that ark of safety begins to float away from you. And your wife is crying and your kids are screaming. And all you can do is look at them and say, I'm sorry. I should have listened to him. I should have listened. He told anyone that was there that they could get on that boat with him and we laughed at him. And we made jokes and we threw rocks and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The floodwaters are still coming up and that rain's coming down and another one of your neighbors falls off that rock and they're lost in the floodwaters and then your wife loses grip on one of your children and that child's gone. And your wife screams a scream like you've never heard and she lets go, and she's gone. And you cry, and you sob, and you say, please help me. But nothing happens. And as that flood water continues to come up, your grip on that rock is loosening, and suddenly you can't hold it any longer, and you and your other child go into those flood waters, into the darkness, lost. Now I want you to know The problem with that story, with the folks in that story, is by the time they got to the boat, the door was shut, and it was too late. I want you to know this is a true story. Maybe not in all the details that I presented, but in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, the Bible tells us a story of a world that was evil, that had turned to evil continually. And God said, I'm going to wipe this this people off the face of this earth it repents me I'm sorry that I ever made man 
But he looked down and he gave grace to a man named Noah. And he told Noah, if you'll build an ark, I'll save you and I'll save your family. And you'll bring those animals on board. And we know from the scripture that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and tried to preach and to save as many as he could. Yet on that day, when that flood came, it was him, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters-in-law. That was it. It was all that was saved from the floodwaters that day. And so I want you to know, while it's a true story, it's also a cautionary tale for you and me. You see, there's a lot of similarities between the story of the flood and the message that God has delivered to you and I. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the scripture says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now at the end of that flood story, if you remember, God promised Noah that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. And he put a rainbow in the clouds as a reminder of that covenant that he'd not do that. He'd not send water ever again. But you know what he has promised? That one day there's fire that's going to destroy everything. And that same warning that was given to Noah on that day, very similar warning has been given to you and I. God is telling us through his word today that at some point, everything that we value in this life, all of our physical possessions, our homes, our cars, our money, our bank accounts, even our family, everything is going to be gone. One day, everything's going to burn up and it's going to be destroyed, just like it was back then. In 2 Peter 3, 5 through 7, the scripture says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Folks, there are people who are willingly ignorant. They deliberately overlook the word of God and the promise that's made. But he promised that generation that they would be destroyed. He promised that through Noah, that a flood was coming and it was going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And he has promised us something similar. And I know today we don't like to talk doom and gloom. We want everything to be roses and butterflies. But I'm telling you what the scripture is telling us is that there's coming a day when all of this is going to be gone. And it's going to be destroyed. And we can't be like those folks that overlook this fact deliberately. That choose to not believe this. Because God has given us a clear and direct warning to help us to be prepared for that day. So that unlike the people in Noah's day, we can be on the ark of safety. And saved from the destruction that's coming. So I want you to know while we too have been warned of that destruction, we have another similarity with the people of that day in that we have rejected God with our sin. You know, that was a very evil world. It was a time in which people began all the time thinking evil thoughts, desiring evil things, rebelling against God constantly. And yet, what do we see in our own life as individuals? All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have sinned against him. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You see, all of us as human beings, we have committed sin. And I want you to think back. We asked this last night as well, but think back to a time in your life. Is there at least one moment that you know, that you can think of, that you've done something you know was wrong, was against the will of God? That's sin. And that sin has consequences. That sin creates a separation between us and God. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. I read this passage as Paul was writing to Timothy, and I think about the Roman Empire that they lived under. I think about the days of Noah and I think about our day today. 
He says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You know, the days of Noah, people were exceedingly wicked and evil. In the days of the Roman Empire, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, people were exceedingly wicked and evil. And the Roman Empire was terribly rebellious against God. But today, as we look even at our society here in this country, we can see the path that we're on is not a good one. It's a path away from God. It's a path towards things that are wrong and that are sinful and that are rebellious. And we have things that are being taught today and espoused today and supported today that are opposite of what the Bible teaches. Good is being called bad, and bad is being called good, and it's a confusing time to be alive because people are pushing agendas that are for themselves, loving pleasure, loving self over loving God. And our country, and our world, and our society, though individually we have all rebelled against God, collectively we are heading down this same path of sin and rebellion against Him. I want you to know that that sin has eternal consequences. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, the folks in Noah's day, they were wiped off the face of the planet. They died physically. You and I are going to stand in judgment spiritually and eternally for the choices that we make here. And on that day, whenever that day comes, when everything here is wiped away and it's destroyed with fire, and you and I are standing before the judgment seat of Christ, before the throne of God, and we're being judged on what we have done and the choices that we have made here, what is that judgment going to be? Are we going to be found faithful? Are we going to be found people that are on that ark of safety that's offered to us? Or are we going to be like the people in Noah's day that are destroyed, this time eternally, because of our sin? Revelation 21, 7 and 8 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, today it's not popular to talk about hell. Once again, we like to focus on positive things and positive messages. And there's a lot of people in the world today that want to believe that heaven's real and hell's not. And that all of us are just going to make it to this wonderful place called heaven, but nobody surely is going to make it to that place. That place doesn't even exist. It's not real. And yet the scripture teaches us that there is a place that's called hell that burns for eternity, that is for Satan and those that rebel against God with him. And ultimately that means you and I as people, if we're living in rebellion to God, are destined for eternal destruction in hell. And I don't like that. It's not fun for me to think about But I've got to be honest with what the scripture says and be honest with you tonight and let you know that that's a very real place. And it's not a place any of us want to be. There are two eternal destinations that our soul can travel to after this life. Heaven and hell. And this is not the place where I want to be. And so if I don't want to be at this place, then I've got to look for the door that God is offering me into the ark of safety today that saved Noah and his family back then and something that can save you and I today. And I want you to know that God has done that. God is a merciful God. He is a loving God. And he ex- has extended his grace to you and I. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, for, by the grace, or for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You know, Genesis 6 verse 8 tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What is grace? 
Grace is God's favor. God looked down upon Noah and he gave him favor. He said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to escape this destruction. And all you've got to do is take 100 years to build this giant boat. That's a, that's a big task. But Noah did it. And he and his family were saved. But I want you to know that God has looked down upon us all as humans. And he has extended his grace to us, his favor to us. He does not want us to burn up in destruction. He does not want us to be lost. He wants us to be with him for eternity. And so he has looked down upon us despite our sin and despite the eternal consequences of that sin and he has held out his hand of grace. In John 3 verse 16, the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What that grace looks like for you and I is a little bit different than what it looked like for Noah. God's not asking you to build a big boat to be saved from floodwaters. He's asking you to believe in his son and to allow his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for your sin. To allow his son Jesus to take that eternal consequence, that payment, that, that hell that we deserve and to take that upon himself and to give us his righteousness to save us. That's the grace of God. God has looked down upon us seeing the destruction that's coming and he said, here, here's a way out. Here's a way that you could avoid this. Here's a way that you can be with me in heaven for eternity. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And we talked about the sacrifice last night that Jesus made on the cross to become that lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Yours and mine and every person outside of these four walls. I want you to know that Jesus is the door. We talked about the door and what that means. This is what that means. Jesus is the door. He is the way to safety today. In John 10 verse 9, he says this. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now I want you to think about it in terms of Noah's story as we've talked about tonight. That door was open. And when that door was open, they were able to get on that ark of safety and it carried them, it protected them, it shielded them from the destruction that God sent. And I want you to imagine that there is a spiritual ark of safety. It's not a real boat. That's not my point this evening. But a spiritual ark of safety that God has created. And that door is wide open. And he's saying anyone that is inside this ark of safety will be shielded, will be protected from the destruction that I'm going to send. And you want to know how you get on that boat, that ark of safety? It's through Jesus. Jesus is the door. And that door is open tonight. And that invitation is extended. That grace is being offered. It's just up to you and I to decide if we're going to respond. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, I don't know all of you here tonight. I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know your religious beliefs in full. You may come from a religious background or situation where you believe that in, in some other person, in some other religion, that some, someone else or something else is going to save you. And I want you to know what Jesus teaches is that he is the only way. There's not 600 doors on this ark of safety. There's not a bunch of different ways that you can get in. There is one way, and it's through Jesus. He's the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so faith in Muhammad is not going to save you. Faith in Confucius is not going to save you. Any other religion, any other person, 
any other belief system is not going to allow you to come through the door onto that ark of safety that God has prepared. Only Jesus. He's the way. And you know what's amazing about this is that Jesus has not left it up to us to guess how it is that we can open that door and obtain entrance into this ark of safety. He's told us. And so I want to read to you tonight the words of Jesus. Jesus himself, the door himself, who is telling you and I through the Holy Scriptures how we can gain entrance into him. Listen to these words as Jesus taught in John 8 verse 24. He said, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he... You shall die in your sins. Now, we've talked about the sin that all of us have committed. We're all in that sin. We've committed that sin. We're worthy of death and eternal destruction because of our sin. What is Jesus saying? If you don't believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. And so we're going to die and we're going to reap the eternal consequence of hell for our sins. If what? If we don't believe in him. As who? He says, if you don't believe that I am he, who is he? Who is Jesus? He is the son of God the Savior, the Messiah, sent to earth by God the Father to become the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sin, the atonement to wipe our sins away and allow us entrance into God's spiritual ark of safety. That's who Jesus is. Do you believe in him? Because Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you're gonna die in your sins and it's not gonna be good for you. When that eternal destruction comes, when that fire comes and all of this is wiped away, we're gonna be headed to the wrong place if we don't believe in Jesus. But that's not all that Jesus asks of us. You know, he said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Did you know that Jesus himself taught that he doesn't want people that just say, I believe in you in my heart, but won't say that out loud, won't really live it? God wants people and Jesus wants people that are willing to confess him. You know, we talk about confession sometimes and we think confession of sin. And that's certainly a biblical concept, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about confessing belief. He's saying, if you believe in me, I also want you to confess that before people, to tell other people. And so if we say in our heart, I believe in you, Jesus, but we're out in our workplace and we go, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. We're not confessing him. We're denying him. And Jesus said, if you're going to deny me, I'm going to deny you. You're not going to have entrance. I'm not going to allow you in. You're not going to be in that ark of safety. And so we've got to be able to believe in Jesus and be willing to stand up boldly in front of people and say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he came and he died for me. And my eternal soul is going to spend eternity in heaven with him. And if we're willing to do that, Jesus says, you're on your way to entering into this ark that I'm offering you. But that's not it. Jesus said in Luke 13 and verse 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. You know, there's people that say they believe in Jesus that are willing to get up in front of people and confess that belief, but then they go on living their selfish, sinful lives without ever changing. That's what repentance is. It's a change. Repentance is about saying, I'm going to stop living for myself, and I'm going to start living for you, Lord. I'm going to stop being selfish, and I'm going to start being selfless. I'm gonna stop living for me and I'm gonna start living for you. That's repentance. And Jesus said, if you want entrance into me, if you wanna come through my door, if you want the safety, the salvation that I'm offering, the eternal life in heaven, not only must you believe in me and confess that before people, but it's gotta be real. Does this mean we're gonna be perfect? Does repentance mean we're never gonna make a mistake? We're never gonna sin again? No, that's not what it means. But there's a difference between a heart that says, oh well, I'm gonna do what I want. 
That's not a repentant heart. And a heart that goes to God and asks for forgiveness for the mistakes that we make and gets up the next day trying harder to be the type of person that God's called us to be. That's a repentant heart. And it's a lifelong pursuit and struggle, this idea of repentance, because it means that we really, really do believe in him and we're trying to live for him. But Jesus also said this in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus says, if you believe in me and you're willing to confess that belief before people and it's real for you and you're going to repent and change and live for me, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be baptized. And if you're baptized, then you'll be saved. And you'll gain entrance into me, into that spiritual ark of safety that will shield us, that will protect us from the destruction that's coming. Now, we visit with people sometimes, study with people, and the question is asked, why baptism? And there's a lot of people in the world today that don't believe that baptism is part of this salvation process. But first, I want to remind you that I'm reading to you the words of Jesus himself. This is not the doctrine of Timothy. This is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And if he is the door, he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the way to get to the Father and there's no other way, then isn't he the voice that we should be listening to? At the end of the story, it really doesn't matter. I could tell you a lot of things. I could say hop on your right foot 14 times and snap your fingers behind your back and you're saved. Do you trust me? Can I control where your eternal soul goes? Can I grant unto you eternal life? Then why are you listening to me? Nobody better be jumping on their right foot 14 times because that's not gonna save you. And the same thing's true with anything else that we hear in the world today. There's a lot of people with a lot of ideas about what it takes to be saved. What I want you to walk away with is what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now why baptism? At the end of the story, we can talk through the scriptural aspect of baptism and all that. But at the end of the day, it's because that's what he chose. And if Jesus had chosen something else, you know what I would be teaching tonight? Something else. If Jesus had taught, say this prayer and ask Jesus in your heart, you know what I'd be telling you to do tonight? Say this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And I want to listen to the voice of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to listen to the voice of Jesus. He is the door and he's telling you how to enter in. He's telling you how you can have that safety and protection and all those things from the destruction that's coming. And it's through baptism. But here's one of the other beautiful things about baptism. This is what I find really cool about this method that Jesus has chosen. Is it's a picture of what he did on the cross and in the grave. You see, Romans chapter six, verse three and four says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I think there's something pretty special about this baptism that Jesus has chosen, and here's what it is. You see, we talked last night about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as Jesus hung up on that cross, his physical life was ended. And he was buried in that tomb for three days, but it didn't end there. He was given new life as he raised from that grave. And baptism, what it is in its simplest form, is simply being immersed into water and brought back up. But what happens spiritually is what's powerful. Colossians tells us that 
God performs an operation. That when we submit to him through faith in baptism, that God performs an operation on us. He takes our sin away. You see, just as Jesus died on that cross, our old sinful self is put to death like him. And as he was buried in that tomb, we are buried in that water where God performs that saving operation. We meet the blood of Jesus Christ and our sins are washed away. We become brand new. And just as Jesus raised from that tomb and walked with new life, so we raise up out of that water and walk with new life too. But not a physical new life, a spiritual one. A one where our relationship with God has been restored because our sin has been washed away. And what happens in that moment when we go down into that water, there's nothing special or holy about the water. It's what takes place because of our obedience and our faith and God's choice to give us grace. And in that moment, a substitution takes place. We give Jesus our sin, our uncleanness, our evil choices, our negative evil thoughts that we've had, all of those things that we've done contrary to the will of God, we give it to him. And then he gives us his righteousness, his perfection, his cleanness. And guys, we absolutely get the best end of that deal. We come up out of that water, a different person changed, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done for us. And when we come up out of that water, cleansed, made whole with new life, we are added to something pretty special. We call it the church. What is a church? I want you to know tonight that the church is not four walls and a roof. We say we're going to church. What we really mean is we're going to the church building. The church is the people that have entered into Jesus Christ. It is his group, his people, that have obeyed his plan and have achieved safety and protection in his arms. And when we come up out of that water of baptism made clean and made whole, we are added to his family, his church. And we're a part of something now that's going to last for eternity in heaven. And that's an amazing, tremendous blessing that you and I have been given. And so I want to encourage you tonight to listen to the warning from God that we've read from the scripture tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. There's going to be too many people at some point when that day comes where all of this ends that are saying peace safety. We've got it made. We're living life. We're enjoying ourselves. We're doing all the things that we want to do. I am who I want to be. I'm doing what I want to do. I have everything that this life can offer. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, it's going to be too late. And all of that stuff's going to be gone. You know what they were doing in the days of Noah? Jesus told us in Matthew 27, 30, or Matthew 24, 37 through 39, he said, for, for, the, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered into the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Too many people in Noah's day were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage. They were partying, they were living life. They were just enjoying themselves. It was all about them. And then all of a sudden, it was too late. And I want to encourage you tonight. Don't live for yourself. 
Don't live your life for this world and for the temporal things here. If you base your life and your value and everything that you live for for this world, then you're gonna get the consequences of this world and that's a fiery destruction that's gonna come and eternal consequences that come with it. But if you instead will follow the plan that we've talked about tonight that Jesus has said, if you'll believe in me, if you'll confess me, if you'll repent and live for me, and if you'll submit in baptism and allow me to take your sins away, then I'll allow you in. And I'll give you that safety, that protection, that salvation, and that eternal life. And ladies and gentlemen, tonight, I want you to know that that door, it is open. And Jesus is inviting you. And he is calling to you. And he wants to know you individually. He wants you to come to him, to respond to his call, to follow his plan, and to receive the salvation that he so badly desires for you. And that door, it is standing here. It is open. And there's an opportunity right now, tonight, to walk through that door of Jesus and obtain that protection and safety from the destruction that's coming. But I want you to know that there's coming a day when that door, it's going to close. And it's going to be too late. And there's no second chances. And we can't beg to get on board after the fact. Because it's going to be too late. Don't let it be too late. Are you on the ark of safety tonight? Are you a part of Jesus' family? If you're not, why are you waiting? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard, or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.